0: Tonight, we're gonna try to tackle a few more chapters as we're jamming through Jeremiah. Uh, I say that sometimes we wanna hurry through these books that are a little more challenging because where we're at in the Bible is where we're at in life. And we see that here in Jeremiah. And and maybe even um, in in some ways, magically, mysteriously, uh, miraculously, we see similarities to the days we're living. One such similarity I'd like to point out tonight is the similarity of, um, of misinformation, knowing what's true and what's false. One of the things you'll notice historically uh, during chaotic times is the whole thing of confusion um, and people not knowing what is true and what is false. And that's where really battles and skirmishes and wars have all really started. In fact, world wars have been started because of misinformation, confusion, and people wondering what the world's going on. And, uh, and really, I wonder about the days we're living. I see not just the United States, but really the whole world right now largely finds itself confused about what is true and what is false. And there might have been just the biggest you know, scams Uh, known to humanity uh, engaged in these last several months of 2020. Um, And it's an interesting problem because, you know, people are wondering, why doesn't anybody listen to the science? Uh, You'll hear people say stuff like that. But as it turns out, the science so-called is being, is really different things. Um, One group of scientists are saying one thing, one group of scientists are saying the other thing, and you don't know which ones are more politically driven than the others. And, um, and then if you ask for the science, well, show me the science. Oftentimes they cannot produce the science so-called. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says in the last days it'll come down to that, that they'll have science falsely so-called. That's gonna be a mark of the last days. And here we are. I think that's one of those things we're seeing right now. And because of that, people have really lost their trust they, they really have a hard time just saying, you know what, we're gonna just believe what we're seeing on the news. Those days are long gone. And we've done that to ourselves really because uh, people will put uh, information that's just not true because they really, really want it to be true or because they want to <clears throat> sort of change the narrative or maybe even they find themselves uh, with a political agenda that they're trying to achieve or accomplish. And because of that, people have very much lost trust in the news. And that's the case really in Jeremiah's day. The one guy who's speaking the truth is Jeremiah. And he's a little bit of a Lone Ranger during his day. There were all kinds of false prophets saying things that people wanted to hear. And even though they'd been wrong, many times before, the people are still listening to them. And um, Jeremiah still finds himself sort of on the outs, even though he's the one, as it turns out, to have been right the whole time. I think that's what we're gonna find out in these days, should the Lord tarry much longer, you know, before the rapture of the church. I think that one of the things that time will shake out is the things that were true during 2020 and the things that were false. And I think we'll see that if, if the Lord doesn't return in 2021 or in the next five or 10 years, which I think He very well could likely, but if not, um, I think eventually we'll see historically that 2020 might just be one of the biggest misinformation eras in the United States history, maybe in the world's history. And uh, I, I think it's something for us to at least watch out for and, and to be cautious about it's so interesting watching just information broadcasters like you know uh, Fauci. I saw him last week. You know, Fauci was one says, "Yeah, you guys don't need to wear masks. Masks are not you know uh, worthwhile." Then then he came out later. Now you got to wear masks or else you're murdering people. You know, like like the the swing on the pendulum on the mask thing has been pretty radical, um, and it's that's why people a lot of people don't wear masks is because they, they've been saying different things and and so. You know, if, they, if it's kind of 50-50 one way or the other, well, let's go no mask. You know, that's what people are thinking and saying. Now I know some people are like, well, that's irresponsible and all this. Well, maybe, maybe not. Do you know the science behind the mask? Because I've done some deep research. And as it turns out, it's hard to discern what is true as it relates to masks. Um, But Fauci, this this week was said that bastion of information uh, uh, Fauci was talking about on one of these uh, news broadcast things where, you know, you need to wear a mask, but if you wanna have casual sex with a perfect stranger, that's okay. Uh, People are gonna do what they're gonna do and can't stop that, he said. But, you know, make sure and wear a mask when you go to Costco and stuff like that. Like, it really is um, crazy. Um, There's craziness, I I see craziness. You know, when I see these um, tents outside of restaurants, what are they? Well, there's a big tent and there's gas heaters and stuff that are very dangerous and uh, oftentimes produce air that you probably shouldn't breathe. But there are people going into these gas chambers uh, or I should say restaurant outbuildings. And they're basically um, gathering to eat because they can't go indoors. So they're outside in this sort of hot and cold area where you get the sniffles, cause it's so cold you get sniffles and coughs and you're out there trying to get some food and dine. Um, meanwhile, there's a big restaurant full of empty chairs and tables where there's lots of space in, indoors. So we're, we basically believe this thing that us sitting out in tents out in the cold, eating our food is somehow safer than going inside of a restaurant that's been cleaned and carefully uh, socially distanced. Like, like the, the, the rationale there is pretty painful if you ask me. Um, and there's all kinds of things like that. Um, we can talk about the election and about, you know, was there fraud and uh, was there cheating? Well, the answer is yes, they've found it. The big question is, what do you believe? You know, do you believe it was rampant, huge and hundreds of thousands of votes? Or do you believe it was a few little things here and there that were just dishonest things? Um, and uh, I don't wanna get into all that as much, but but uh, it's gonna cause some trouble. That kind of misinformation, whether people wanna admit it or not, could mean real trouble for the United States. That kind of misinformation, when a, when a, a whole group of people feel like their votes were not counted because of fraud, um, that, could, that could mean trouble, uh, real trouble. Uh, people talk about civil war even in the United States of America, in 2021, like that that's scary stuff. Um, but we shouldn't be shocked, but that's what f- starts all the wars. Misinformation, uh, untruth, uh, you know, people saying stuff that's just false, and, uh, and that's the problem. This is the case where Jeremiah and his people are. Now, the reason I bring this up is not to be political, but just to say, Jeremiah can relate to the day you and I are living in. There were, there were some very interesting similarities. Misinformation is one of the biggest ones. And Jeremiah in the next couple of chapters that we're gonna see here is gonna have to deal with this misinformation and he's gonna do his best just to speak the truth in love. But whether the people listen or not, that'll be seen uh, tonight as we continue through our study. So we pick it up in Jeremiah 27, where we left off last week. And we start with a bit of a controversy. It's uh, just even on textual criticism of the Bible. It starts off in Jeremiah 27, verse one. It says, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word unto Jeremiah from the Lord saying, thus saith the Lord to me, make thee bonds and yokes and put them upon thy neck. Uh oh, another object lesson that Jeremiah has to give. We've had, you know, the potter's house object lesson. You know, we've had, um, you know, some of these other object lessons that Jeremiah and some of the other prophets have had to do. Now he's got to go around wearing a yoke and be all chained up uh, and stuff like that. Uh, We'll get to that in a second, but the controversy starts with the word Jehoiakim. Some of your Bibles say Zedekiah. You know, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, uh, and then we start this chapter. Others say no, is Jehoiakim. Which one is it, Zedekiah or Jehoiakim? Well, that's, that's a debate that scholars have had. And most land that your newer translations probably get it more accurate in that Zedekiah. Well, Brett, Jehoiakim is not Zedekiah. Here's where the Bible's full of contradictions, they will say. And this is one of those ones that you know Bible critics will bring up and say, see, they got the wrong king here in uh, chapter one. Um, let me explain something. And um, one thing that I get misunderstood on this one, but no matter who you are, as far as Bible uh, scholar or ling- uh, linguistic specialist, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, one thing you need to know when it comes to uh, the Bible is there are copyists and manuscripts and manuscript after manuscript. And over the centuries, um, there have been some translational issues um, and differences. And um, and even copyist errors. You say copyist errors. The Bible has no errors. Correct. If you're talking about the original manuscripts, um, when the Lord told you know Moses to write the first five books of the Bible, he wrote it, and it was without error and it was perfect. As soon as it was, it was translated, you know, from Hebrew to Greek, from Greek to whatever, you know, uh, you know, and then over the centuries translated to Spanish and English and Fran- uh, French and all that. Um, The translations and the copies and the manuscripts over the centuries, sometimes words were misplaced over that time. That part is not inspired. Sometimes there's been some goofs on that. Some translations aren't even translations at all. You know, like the New World Translation or the Book of Mormon, those aren't real translations. Those are uh, books that have been sort of re-paraphrased to sort of fit false doctrine and false teaching. So be careful of those. But even in the good translations, there are some differences. So that's why some say you know Joachim, others say Zedekiah. Um, if you look at the oldest manuscripts of the Hebrew Old Testament, you find that it's Zedekiah, and it also historically matches with what the rest of this chapter is about. It's about the time during the reign of Zedekiah. So it was probably a some. Some scholars say the copyist of this um, the text. You know, and and this depends on whether you're using Textus Receptus or these various manuscripts. But in the 1611 King James translation, it's possible that the copyist uh, for that manuscript was using chapter 26, the first verse, and put it also in chapter 27. If you'll notice, they're both the same verse. uh, Only chapter 27 is not about Joachim, it's about Zedekiah. Now, some of you are like, Brett, I can't believe it. You're shaking my trust in the Bible. Oh, it shouldn't shake your trust in the Bible. All you gotta do is get a Hebrew text uh, and read it, uh, learn Hebrew, and you'll be right on the money with it. And and by the way, this this is funny to me, and it's amazing. One of the miraculous things about these little textual criticisms and what have you is none of them are a big deal. Jehoiakim or Zedekiah, is that really that big of a deal? No. Now, if Jesus was God in the flesh and that that the translation made us wonder, is that true or false? Well, we'd be in trouble. But fortunately none of these little copyist sort of errors that we find over the centuries, none of them touch anything of real doctrinal uh, substance. Um, The Bible remains true and um, different translations. Sometimes the translators tweak it and get it wrong a little bit. Sometimes there have been copyist errors, but the Word of God is infallible. And uh, if you, if we had the original manuscripts, which we don't, but if we did, we would be able to uh, show you every word that was meant to be written as the way it was. The miraculous thing is how the Bible has stayed intact, even with some of the little textual uh, copyist issues and what have you. So don't let that shake your trust whether you're a new international version person or a King James or ESV. I love the ESV, very readable, very modern day. But ESV is a great translation if you ask me. New King James sort of takes the King James and brings it a little more into current vernacular. Um, But they're all great translations and you can be saved and you can get all the doctrine you need from any of those translations. I hope you understand that. Don't let that freak you out. uh, if you really want to get into it, just learn Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and uh, go to those original texts, and you'll be good to go. Uh, most of us don't have time to do that, and so what you can do is just read the the translations we have, and uh, and then do word studies and and go deeper with the you know with the study tools you and I have today. Uh, there's no excuse; that we can dive deep into what the, the original manuscripts did in fact say. And what was the spirit behind them? What was the truth behind them? It's not hard to really dig in that. Uh, so keep that in mind. So don't let this verse one give, give you any uh, heartburn. Uh, it does some, but you shouldn't. Uh, it's, we're probably talking about King Zedekiah, not Jehoiakim. Well, back to this object lesson, the Lord verse two tells, you know, Jeremiah to put on a, a yoke and some bonds, a yoke around his neck. Now what, what's a yoke? Um, if, when you have a team of oxen, the ox is yoked one to another. They're connected so that they're bearing a burden together. And that yoke was made by a skilled craftsman to connect the two. Now, you know, and the, Paul, the apostle warned about, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, and there was an image there about like, for example, business or marriage. You don't wanna marry an unbeliever because you'll be unequally yoked. One person's gonna be pulling all the weight and the other person's not, and it'll cripple one of the oxen. Did you know an unequally yoked ox team will eventually, the weaker ox will eventually become crippled uh, if you have the wrong yoke on that team of oxen. The same thing's true with you and with me in business or in marriage or anything, you're yoking yourself to another person. Be careful about yoking yourself uh, with an unbeliever. That's always a big mistake. Um, But in this case, Jeremiah's case, the yoke is being a picture of a burden that's being put around their necks. The burden of Babylon, that King Nebuchadnezzar is coming. He's gonna wipe out Jerusalem and Judea, and he's gonna put uh, chains and fetters on you know, the Jews, and this is Jeremiah walking around in a, with a yoke and with uh, chains. And he's saying, this is gonna be you guys, object lesson. Uh, that's what he's gonna be doing. Now, this yoke will come into play with some controversy here uh, in a bit. Well, verse three goes on and says, "'And send them to the king of Edom, and to the king of Moab, and to the king of the Ammonites, to the king of, the, of Tyrus, and the king of Sidon, by the hand of messengers, which come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and command them to say unto their masters, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus shall ye say unto your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. So, First of all, we have to understand Jeremiah's audience has just gotten much, much bigger. Um, he's not just talking to Jerusalem, he's not just talking to the men of Judah. He's talking to all the nations around. When we talk about Edom and Moab, that's Jordan, modern-day Jordan. Um, when you talk about Tyre and Sidon, that's the north, that's up by Lebanon and part of Syria. And you know, it's talking about the, to these Amor, Ammonites and all these other kings around. And Jeremiah has a word for all of them too. Basically saying you guys are all going to be under the yoke of Babylon. He's going to tell them that message. But what's interesting is God sort of gives his credentials before he tells them what to do or what they should think about. And what are the Lord's biggest credentials? I love what he says here. And this should be true for you and me. This should end any discussion if God has the right to say anything to us. Uh, What right does God, your God, Jeremiah, have to say to the Ammonites or the Zidonians or Tyre or Ammon and Moab, what right does your God? The answer, verse five, I have made the earth. (laughs) The end, I made the earth. So that's the end. And he says, I made the earth and all the beasts that are on the ground. By my great power, by my outstretched arm, have I given it into whom it seemed meet unto me. The, that's a King James way of saying, I gave it to whoever I felt like I wanted it to be given to. So, right now, you Ammonites, you're there by my good graces. Babylon's in power because of my doing. You know, the Ammonites, you guys have gotten to where you are because of me, the guy who created the heavens and the earth, the Lord's saying. And that's why it's so goofy when you see people sort of rebel against the Lord and say, who are you Lord to talk to us, God to talk to us about this, or what are you, God made the heavens and the earth. That's why I believe, speaking of you know, creation and evolution and all that stuff, that's why it's such, you know, ground zero in Christian faith is because, you know, believing that God created the heaven and the earth um, is sort of fundamental. Uh, As soon as you take that away and you start thinking, well, through billions of years, accidental circumstances of evolution and all that, that it just kind of happened. Well, that takes away all of God's authority and power. And the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he did it by speaking the world into existence. Um, I believe that, take it literally, and I hope you do too. Um, As soon as that starts to go on your theology, your theology is gonna be messed up down the road. That's gonna undo key things. And uh, I would recommend just having faith and saying, I believe what the Bible says, God created. Well, Brett, I believe God created it through theistic evolution. Through billions of years, uh, God allowed that to happen in his, That's, that's nice thought and everything, but it's just wrong. God says he created the earth on six days and on the seventh day. Well, I don't believe literal days. As soon as you start saying that about the Bible, you're in trouble. I take the Bible literally wherever I can. Um, isn't it interesting that God wants us to literally work six days and take the seventh day as a Sabbath? That wasn't a figurative thing; that was literal, uh, because that's what He did on creation. And and I could go on and on, but I hope that you're not one who's been sucked in to uh, believing in theistic evolution. Um, you know, it's amazing to me is I see Christians doing that. Meanwhile, secular scientists are saying, we gotta get out of this evolution bandwagon, get off the wagon because it doesn't make sense. The math of it doesn't add up. And there are evolutionists that are non-believers are saying, we gotta come up with some other theory of how the origins really came about. The origin of man, the origin of the cosmos, the earth, the solar system, how did it all come to be? And um, you know they're coming up with other theories. But uh, man, the easiest, most logical one to me is to believe in God, that God did all this. And He did it the way He said He would do it. This is the rationale that God has when He's speaking to these nations. He says, I made the earth and I made all the animals and I made you people on the earth to dwell in the lands that you're supposed to be dwelling in. It's all me, I did it all. So that takes away anybody's argument against the Lord, at least it should. Uh, that's, That's the way Jeremiah starts out his word here. Well, verse six, and now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And the beast of the field have I given him also to serve him. And all the nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come. Then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. The Lord says, I got a plan and I've got Nebuchadnezzar. He's my servant. He's basically doing what I'm making him do. And he's, he's gonna take over all your lands. Now the message is ultimately, as we'll see, here gonna be, you need to submit to, if you wanna live, just lay down your arms and say, we'll follow Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and our king. That's what the Lord is telling them. He's given a chance to be successful. But those nations that are gonna fight against Nebuchadnezzar, they're all gonna die. That's the idea. Um, but interesting, there's a couple things here you should know about for you Bible students. He says, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is gonna reign and then his son after him and his son's son. Did you know that oftentimes the, um, the word grandfather is not used in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament? Because they didn't really have a term like we use. In fact, in the Bible, um, most of the time, the Hebrew language is more articulate than the English language. In the area of relatives, one of the things you'll find is there's a, a disconnect. Um, In in places in the Bible, the the ancients would call their grandson, their son. They didn't see a difference there. It wasn't just a a vernacular word thing. It was actually a mentality. If if you're my son and you have a son, you that my grandson is my son. So um, they would say his son's son, like, like it does here in our text, But um, one of the things you'll miss is that word grandfather oftentimes. Did you know that even sometimes nephews and cousins, and they're all called sons, and it's a little more of a clumsy term, but it's family and they're all called the sons. Whoever's the elder is often the the father over the nephew or the sons or grandsons. So don't let that confuse you. We know who this is. The Lord, he's saying, Nebuchadnezzar is gonna take over all your nations. After him, his son and his sons sons. Well, if you recall, uh, this is one of those areas where Daniel, the book of Daniel, um, they call Belshazzar the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, And we know that he's actually technically the grandson, but that's who Jeremiah foretold, not by name in this case, but uh, the son of Nebuchadnezzar and his son's son. If you remember, Nebuchadnezzar had the son Nabonidus and Nabonidus gave birth uh, uh, into his line of Belshazzar. And he's the guy that eventually lost the kingdom of Babylon, just like Jeremiah prophesied to these nations right here in chapter 27. I love that Jeremiah is absolutely correct on how this was gonna go down. He says, the son and the son's son, after him, they're gonna conquer it. And that's what happened. If you recall, during the reign of Belshazzar, the the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, um, Darius uh, the Mede and Cyrus, uh, 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 Cyrus the Persian, um, they came and conquered Babylon. And Darius was in charge there uh, uh, for the Medes and the Persians in Babylon. After them would come the, you know, the Greeks and then the Romans, and, and then you know, uh, the Jews would be scattered you know, after the Roman empire. Um, in AD 70. So all this happened and the Lord knows what's gonna happen. He's even given them a a sneak preview. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar is gonna be in charge. His son, his son after that. But then after that, they're gonna gonna be wiped out by another uh, army. And this is all foretold by the Lord. One thing that I love about the Bible is its prophecy. When it deals with future events, as it turns out, the Lord, he's always right. His word is 100%. Unlike, you know, 1984, George Orwell's 1984 was interestingly accurate, but only 35%. Uh, Some science, you know, they've kind of studied, you know, George Orwell's 1984 and how, how close was he? He was pretty close. And they give him a lot of credit for 35%. You know, so you have to be careful about some of these guys, these prognosticators and these people who are telling the future and stuff. They're not that great at it. The Bible, 100% unless it's something that's yet to happen. And we, we have a lot of those things in the Bible that we have yet to see, but they're coming. So this is a case where the Lord speaks through Jeremiah right here in our text to basically say, uh, that this is what's gonna happen, Babylon's coming. You guys need to submit yourselves to Nebuchadnezzar. He will be in charge, his son and his son's son after him. But then there's gonna come other great Kings, Alexander, Cyrus, Darius, and they will have to uh, serve themselves of Belteshazzar. Are you guys with me on that? All right, well, verse eight. And it shall come to pass that the nation and the kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore hearken ye not to your prophets, nor your diviners, nor your dreamers, nor your enchanters, nor your sorcerers, which speak unto you saying, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you, to remove you far from your land, that I should drive you out and you should perish. But the nations that bring their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, those will I let remain still in their own land, saith the Lord and they shall till it, uh, you know, till it, with farmland is the idea, and dwell therein. So this is a message from Jeremiah by the Lord to the heathen nations. And, and he's, Jeremiah's saying, you're gonna be under their yoke. That's why I'm wearing this yoke. You're gonna be under their yoke. And you're just gonna deal with that. And if you choose to go with that, as it turns out, you will uh, be able to live in your land until your land and you'll go on kind of business as usual. But if you rebel against the king, he'll wipe you out. This is the word that Jeremiah was giving. Again, all the other people were saying, nope, that's not true. Jeremiah is wrong, fight against Nebuchadnezzar. That's what they were saying. You know, what's interesting in this case, uh, it makes me wonder about righteous wars versus unrighteous wars. You know, um, I, I do like studying history and, you know, I think of, uh, you know, Genghis Khan, you know, and um, some, some people don't even really know. That was one of the most bloody wars in the world's history. Uh, the Mongols and, you know, um, the Steppe uh, and the Chinese and the Russians and like, it's really quite a story. But who was right in that? Was God allowing the Mongols to kind of take over much of the known world at that time? You know, they were considered to be sort of Uh, you know, barbarians. And then there was all these crusaders and these uh, sort of hoity-toity, you know, great, um, you know, soldiers of England who thought they were gonna be able to handle the Mongols, but they were destroyed by these Mongols who rode horses and shot arrows. And, And who was God's, what was God's plan there? Was God behind the Mongols or was, what was the deal there? Was God allowing that? to change the course of the world's history? It really did, if you study the history. What about the Revolutionary War? Oh, Brett, the American Revolution, that was righteous. Religious freedom from England. Well, that's not really what it was. Um, you know, the Puritans and, the, and you know, the pilgrims and what have you, they came over on the Mayflower to have religious freedom and what have you. But by the time, you know, um, 1776 rolled around, it was really taxation without representation. And we were, you know, as a nation, tired of being under the, the tyranny of the King George and, and, and his taxation, and, and so we fought a war, the revolution, American Revolution. Was that a righteous war? Um, now, some would say yes, and the Lord gave us victory. could be. But it's an interesting thing, you know, because the Bible says we're to submit to the kings and rulers who are in authority over us. And, and it doesn't say if they're evil or whatever, because Nero was the one who was king at the time of Paul the Apostle. So you kind of wonder, was the American Revolutionary War righteous or unrighteous? And I kind of have to believe that it must have been what the Lord planned and what he wanted because of what he did with that revolutionary war and how the United States has been used since then. We've been used, I believe it was a righteous thing when the United States entered into finally, we entered into World War II and we subdued Hitler uh, along with the Japanese empire and all that stuff. Um, And the atomic bomb sort of ended that. Some people say the atomic bomb was horrible. It was horrible for Nagasaki and Hiroshima, but it saved, you know, millions of lives that were headed for certain death. Uh, the war was over once those bombs were dropped. And you wonder, was the Lord in that? You know, what was the Lord in? Was he behind the bombs? Was he, you know, or was he opposed? Here in this case, it's a little bit of an unlikely situation. Jeremiah is saying, just give up. That's what he's telling all the nations. You guys just give up and let this Babylonian guy come and take over all your land. And that was the Lord's plan. And I find that interesting because the answer is is really uh, something that I think we might have to face in our days. You know, what if war breaks out? I mentioned earlier, you know, with all this anger and division in our nation, what happens if there's civil war? And when do you know, you know? When it's right to fight and take up arms or when it's time to sit down and submit, even if it means going to prison or like here, Jeremiah saying, give it up. You're gonna be in taken into captivity and you're gonna have a yoke of bondage. Do that. That's what thus that saith the Lord. Is there ever a case to just submit and lay down? Some of you, I know some of you guys out there, nope, get my AR and I'm gonna fight to the death. Uh, you know, the only time they get my guns is from my cold, dead hands. Like I understand there's a bunch of you guys out there that are like that. But I don't believe that's the godly worldview. It's more like Abraham Lincoln. I think Abraham Lincoln had a healthy view on this when it came to the civil war. You know, when asked, you know, um, you know what side, you know, do you think uh, we need to pray for God's help and are we on the right side of this or whatever? And Abraham Lincoln's comment was something to the extent of, you know, um, the issue is not, is God on our side? The issue is, are we on God's side? And that's wisdom right there. See, that's the thing we have to ask ourselves. And God's side sometimes looks like what our side would look like. But in this case, if you're Jeremiah and the people of Judah and Jerusalem, God's side just happens to be very much in opposition to them. And God's telling them, lay down your arms, give it up, and let Babylon take you over and wipe you out and take you into bondage. That was God's plan. Well, Brett, are you saying that's what's happening? I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying, The thing that we need to be really careful about in these days with all the misinformation and all this talk of, you know, defending yourself and guns and all this stuff, what we need to be very careful about as Christians is to be praying, Lord, help us to be on your side. Whatever that is, if it means to be, you know, like, you know, just laying down the arms and saying, blessed are the peacemakers. And and even if it means prison and and, uh, jail time or whatever, Maybe that's, you know, the persecuted church had to go through that for a lot of years. Never again, or tell you what, we're gonna defend the church and take, well, that may or may not be of the Lord. So it's an interesting conundrum, but I believe the person who seeks the Lord, who's truly listening and poor Jeremiah, no one was listening to him, but the person who's willing to say, Lord, show us your will, show us how to navigate through these difficult days. I believe the Lord will give us a very clear, and united uh, front, you know, whether to, to lay down our arms and, and submit ourselves and say, Lord, your will be done, or to defend our country, um, you know, and, and some of you, some of us are seeing that our country, it's, it seems like it's on the verge of needing defended, being defended. There are sort of strange sort of entities attacking in different ways that we've never seen before. And people are wondering what we should be doing Um, Well, as the Christian church goes, we should be praying. Lord, show us what it means to be on your side. Help us to do what you want us to do. I know that might sound elusive or lacking in clarity, but that's what needed to happen here in Jeremiah's time. They needed to hear from the Lord. And the Lord was very clearly speaking through the prophet Jeremiah at that time. That's what we needed to hear from the Lord. Well, all that to say, um, let's see how they respond to this um, sort of you know, you know, uh, object lesson of Jeremiah, wearing the yoke of bondage, being all chained up, talking to these, you know, heathen nations and what have you. Um, but he says, um, you know, uh, that basically um, verse eight, and it shall come to pass that nation and kingdom uh, will not uh, serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. That nation will I punish, saith the Lord with the sword and with the famine and with pestilence until I've consumed them by his hand. Therefore hearken ye not to your prophets. Um, see, these are the, the people that we just read about. Verse nine, the, um, these are secularists. These are pagans, um, the dreamers and enchanters and sorcerers. Uh, don't listen to them. And verse 10, like we read, for they prophesy a lie unto you. Well, um, don't listen to those guys. Be careful, Christians, because they're secularists seeming to be spiritualists that are telling us what they think we should be doing, but we need to follow what the Lord says. Well, verse 12, I spake also to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words saying, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why will you die thou and thy people by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Therefore, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that speak unto you saying, "'You shall not serve the king of Babylon,' for they prophesy a lie unto you. For I have not sent them, saith the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name, that I might drive you out and that you might perish, you and the prophets that prophesy unto you. Also I spake to the priest and all the people saying, "'Thus saith the Lord, hearken not to the words of your prophets that prophesy unto you,' saying, Behold. The vessels of the Lord's house shall now shortly be brought again from Babylon for they prophesy a lie unto you. Hearken not unto them, serve the king of Babylon and live. Wherefore should the city be laid waste? But if they be prophets and if the word of the Lord be with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and Jerusalem go not to Babylon what's Jeremiah doing here? Now there could be a hint of sarcasm here in Jeremiah's words and maybe even more in the next, you know, coming words here. But he's, what are they saying about the vessels of the temple? Well, remember I told you there were waves where the Babylonians came and uh, took stuff and took people, you know, um, and um, you know, there was the 605, 606 era of the first wave. And then there was the 597, you know, BC era. Uh, and, then, and then the 586 BC, and those were the three waves. But in that first wave, 605, 606, um, that era, they took the gold vessels from the ta- uh, t- temple in Jerusalem. Uh, they left behind the brass and the silver vessels. Um, so they did, still had some vessels. And this is Jeremiah saying, the false prophets, what were they saying? They were saying, listen, um, you're gonna get your vessels back from Babylon. The gold vessels will be returned. That's what uh, the prophets were saying, according to Jeremiah here in verse 16. Behold, the vessel of the Lord's house shall now shortly be brought again from Babylon. Uh, they, the Lord says, that's a lie. That's not gonna happen. And, and then Jeremiah turns it back on those false prophets. He says, you guys start praying that the, that the Babylonians don't come and get the rest of the vessels. Which vessels? The silver and the brass ones. Um, pray for that. Uh, that, that they don't, don't go to Babylon. By the way, all of it would be taken eventually. They'd lose it all. And it's because these false prophets were trying to lure the people to believe what they were saying. Um, and more would go. Um, remember those two pillars that we talked about, uh, Yachim and Boaz, the two ki- pillars of the, of the temple? Even those are going to be taken. Check out verse 19. For thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars and concerning the sea. Now, what's the sea? The ocean? No. Galilee? No. The sea is the the brass laver where they would wash. Um, so we're talking about the temple pillars and the laver, and also concerning the bases and the concerning the residue of the vessels that remain in the city. The you know con, con, uh, concerning the temple, that was sort of the cream of the crop stuff that they had, is stuff that was in the temple. And uh, he's basically, that stuff's all going. Verse 20, that stuff which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon Babylon took not, when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Yea, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon, and they shall be until the day that I visit them, saith the Lord. Then will I bring them up and restore them in this place." When would that happen? 70 years after captivity. And this would come to pass. The pillars would be taken, the vessels would be taken, brass, silver, gold, all be taken, but eventually it would be brought back um, 70 years. Now, by the way, that 70 years timepiece starts right then in 606, 605 BC, right in there. Um, And uh, you go fast forward to uh, 70 years, 536 BC under Cyrus, the Persian, the vessels would be restored and brought back to Jerusalem um, during the time of um, Ezra, Nehemiah and what have you. So all this would come to pass. We know the story. Jeremiah was right, but there were hundreds of other prophets that were just totally lying to the people. And I really do worry that we are being sucked into believing all the lies that are around us. Um, and we're not just putting our trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Don't put your trust in men or man's so-called science. I'm all for science. And the Christians I know are into science, but we have changed it all for a lie. And uh, I think we should be really careful about what we're hearing so-called scientifically and all this, um, the word of the Lord remains and is true. Well, after Jeremiah gives the, um, you know, the yoke object lesson, he, he has a challenge uh, to his yoke illustration and a challenger. And we're gonna meet this guy who wants to give Jeremiah some trouble. And that's a little story, chapter 28, about that, verse one. It came to pass the same year in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year, and in the fifth month, mark the fifth month, because that comes into play later, the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, which was of Gibeon, spake unto me, Jeremiah, in the house of the Lord, and in the presence of the priests, and all the people, saying, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon, Within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. And I will bring again to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Jerusalem that went into Babylon, saith the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the, ba- of the king of Babylon." Wow, this guy sounds legit. Hananiah, the son of Azur is this prophet that stands in the temple with Jeremiah and all the priests and everybody looking and there's Jeremiah wearing his ox, you know, uh, yoke and chain, saying, this is gonna happen and it's gonna happen for a long time and you're not gonna get the vessels back. Well, Hananiah says, Jeremiah is whacked and thus saith the Lord, be careful. Be careful when you hear people say, thus saith the Lord. Are they from the Lord or not? Nobody knows for sure. We'll show you how to know that here in a second, but Hananiah, this prophet saying, it's gonna be two years. We're gonna have all our vessels back. You know, Jeconiah is gonna be back. It's all gonna be good. Everything's gonna be restored in two years. Don't listen to Jeremiah. That's what Hananiah is saying. Well, um, then verse five, the prophet Jeremiah said to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priest and the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the Lord. Now, Pause for a second. What do you think Jeremiah is going to say to this prophet? Jeremiah is already prophesied. Thus saith the Lord, you're going down. Your vessels aren't going to be returned. It's going to be seventy years of captivity. And this guy's saying, No, it's two years. Thus saith the Lord. So you got this. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Jeremiah's one prophet. Hananiah's the other. Which one's correct? Well, check out what Jeremiah does here. Now, this is where we have to try to discern: is this sarcasm, or is it hopefulness? Um, Uh, Check it out, he says, verse six, even the prophet Jeremiah said, amen. What does the word amen mean? It means so be it, let it be so. In other words, two years, sounds great, amen. Now, is he being sarcastic? I kind of think yes, Um, but I I couldn't die on that battlefield. Maybe Jeremiah's like, boy, that'd be great if it was two years, that'd be awesome. Um, I wonder if Jeremiah was even starting to doubt his own words that he gave from the Lord. You know, have you ever done that where you, taught things and shared things with your kids and your family and your loved ones. And then you kind of wonder, boy, is what I just shared even true? And you even can find yourself doubting the word of the Lord. I'm not sure what's going on, whether it's total sarcasm or if Jeremiah is hopeful that things will get better and that his prophecy is wrong and Hananiah is correct. But I think we have a hint uh, of what Jeremiah is really saying as we continue on. So Jeremiah says, amen, so be it, the Lord do so. The Lord performed thy words which thou hast prophesied to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon into this place. Nevertheless, hear thou now this word that I speak in thine ears and in the ears of all the people. The prophets that have been before me and before thee of old prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. The prophet which prophesieth of peace when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. Um, you say, okay, what's going on here? Jeremiah's saying, well, well, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out which prophet's correct when we see who's right. That's really what he's saying. Now, by the way, this was what the law of Moses told the people to do. When you hear a prophet say something, how do you know which prophet is true? You don't. You have to see which prophet said what was true and and if it came to pass, then he's a true prophet. But the prophet that said stuff that didn't come to pass, well, he's wacko and should never be listened to again. Why? Because he's dead, remember? Well, let me read to you. It's, It's the law that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20. It says this in Deuteronomy 18, 20, but the prophet, this is the law of Moses, but the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or, that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know which word the Lord hath not spoken? When the prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But if the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. Jeremiah is just saying, let's be biblical about this. Biblical, Deuteronomy chapter, you know, uh, 18, verses uh, 20 and 22, tells us that just let's see who's right. So, Hananiah, technically, after two years, he should be killed. But check this out the story kind of takes a turn uh, here in verse 10. So, so, this is where I really believe there's evidence that Jeremiah is being very sarcastic because he's being, amen, so be it. Right on, Hananiah, if you're right, great. But then he turns and says, but remember what Moses said, if the prophet's words don't come to pass, he's a false prophet. And then this makes, I think, Hananiah mad because look what he does in verse 10. Then Hananiah, the prophet, took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it, a little temper tantrum. And I spake in the presence of the people saying, thus saith the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Wow, a little drama theatrical presentation. Be careful of drama. Just because someone's emotional, just because a church service has great emotion and you know, seeming theatrics and what have you, watch out. I've learned to become very uh, careful around theatrical Christians. People that are really good at acting and making things seem more dramatic than they really should be. Beware of that. Um, This bold theatrical um, nonsense oftentimes uh, proves to be wrong. Well, verse 12, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. After that Hananiah the prophet broke the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah saying, Go and tell Hananiah thus, Thus saith the Lord, thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. Wow, Jeremiah's bringing up a game, up a notch, saying, oh, you broke the wood? Yeah, good luck with that. The Lord's gonna turn it into iron yokes now verse 14 for thus saith the Lord of hosts the God of Israel I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and they shall serve him and I have I give I have given him the beasts of the field also then said the prophet Jeremiah to Hananiah the, uh, the prophet here now Hananiah the Lord hath not sent thee but thou makest this people to trust in a lie therefore thus saith the Lord behold I will cast thee from off the face of the earth this year, thou shalt die because thou hast taught the rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month." Remember how we started in chapter 28 with the fifth month? It's only two months. Hananiah does this little theatrical demonstration, thus saith the Lord. The Lord is not gonna, we're gonna break this yoke off of our necks. Now, see, by the way, can I just be ever so bold? and mentioned that oftentimes, you know, the person is not really speaking the word of the Lord often sounds so good and talking about victory. Hey, how did I had a victorious message? We're going to break the yoke. We're going to break the chains. We're going to live victoriously, but that's just not the truth. Um, I think that that's oftentimes something that you need to kind of gauge. It's not that I'm a negative Nelly or, uh, you know, um, a doom and gloom Bible teacher. Um, But I I am a realist. And one of the things that when you read the Bible is there's good and there's bad and there's ugly. The good, by the way, long-term out in the long distance far outweighs the bad. We'll see a verse here, Lord willing, tonight uh, that will remind us of that. But there can be a lot of bad before there's good. And when people just come and say, oh, victory, and it's all good, and it's all, you know, victorious living and all this, be careful because I've found that that oftentimes is not the whole story. And, um, and then people get really uh, disillusioned, even walk away from the Lord and lose faith in the Lord and the word when their lives aren't victorious and they don't have hope and they are depressed and they're wondering what's going on and all their little techniques and books and things that they've written doesn't really work and they're still bummed out. And, and, and then people get to this place where they're just, I guess I give up. But if you realize that the Lord says, I don't promise that everything's gonna be rosy. And you might have burdens and yokes on your neck. You might have to deal with depression for a while. You might have to go through difficult days. You might even have to go through prison, like Paul and Peter. You might even have to be beat up a few times. Like this is what the Bible teaches. And yet people don't wanna hear it. We don't have a victory, and joy, and hope and grace and love, which I love that stuff. And ultimately, that's what wins in the end, of course. I'll show you a verse here in a minute. Uh, let's let's tackle one more chapter before we call it a night. Let's get into chapter 29. Um, and uh, we'll see how far we get tonight. So chapter 29, verse one. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the residue of the elders, which were carried away captives and to the priests and the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that Jeconiah, the king and the queen and the eunuchs, the priests of Judah and Jerusalem, and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem. By the hand of uh, 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 Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah king of Judah sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon saying, now that's a long sentence, whew, I'm pooped. Just reading verses one through three, (laughs) run on sentence, but that's okay. It's just basically describing what Jeremiah does. He writes a letter and sends it to the people. Remember in the first wave of captivity, I told you last week, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were guys that were taken in the first wave into Babylon, they were there in captivity. Um, But this letter is from Jeremiah to them. Now, did Daniel read this? Well, I'll show you here in a minute how he did. And and this letter that Jeremiah wrote, Daniel got his hands on this. Um, We'll show you that here in a minute. Verse four, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, before I read this, this is gonna cause confusion. But did you know that Nebuchadnezzar, when he took nations, he would take the cream of the crop, kill most of the people, but he would take the cream of the crop people and bring them back to Babylon and then sort of let them live in Babylon, not not in jail cells, but even in places of leadership. It it was a uh, technique of Nebuchadnezzar and some of the nations after Nebuchadnezzar would do the same thing, where he would sort of assimilate them into Babylonian culture. No doubt these Jews coming from Jerusalem were thought Jerusalem was awesome. Well, Jerusalem was po dunk compared to the two giant walls, one on the outside of the moat, a giant wall on the inside of the moat, you know, 300 feet tall was this wall around uh, Babylon. Babylon had uh, some of the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was the hanging gardens of Babylon. Babylon was a beautiful, protected, powerful city. Um, It was thought to have been impenetrable. You know that it wasn't because of Belshazzar there in the book of Daniel, but they thought it was impenetrable. It could have been besieged under besiegement for 20 years. And the people would be just fine because they had water, they had food supplies. Uh, they were ready to roll for 20 years. You had to be in long haul if you're gonna besiege Babylon. So picture these wide-eyed Jews coming into Babylon and then Nebuchadnezzar said, drink the king's meat or drink the king's wine, eat the king's meat, live in these houses. And, and it was better than what they had in Jerusalem. And so Daniel uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you remember the very first chapter of Daniel? The guys had to figure out, do we eat the king's meat? Uh, do, we, do we live large like this king wants us to? And, and that was the question they were wrestling with. Well, as it turns out, Jeremiah writes this letter, and this will start to make sense when you realize that was Babylon's technique, assimilate these Jews into their culture, make them lose their Jewishness and become good, you know, God bless Babylon kind of, you know, uh, mentality. Uh, Let's check it out. Thus saith the Lord of God of hosts, uh, verse four, um, the God of Israel unto all that are carried away captives whom I've caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build ye houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat the fruit of them, take ye wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. The idea is of Jewish descent. Don't be marrying into Babylonians. The idea is, you know, give your sons and your daughters to each other in captivity that you not be assimilated is the idea there. Verse seven, and seek the peace of the city whether I have caused you to be carried away captives and to pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof, you shall have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, which you have caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord." So basically again, Jeremiah is saying, you're in captivity, live peaceably. Don't be assimilated but plant your gardens, live in your houses, marry good Jewish girls and boys together, um, but, but live peaceably, don't rebel against Babylon. Verse 10, Jeremiah goes on in this letter, for thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years will be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. Would you keep your finger here and go with me to the book of Daniel I wanna show you one of the great chapters of Daniel is Daniel chapter nine. Daniel is an amazing book. Uh, Daniel's one of the guys that received this letter, Uh, the book of Jeremiah, if you would. Um, And it's in Daniel chapter nine. Would you turn there real quick? In Daniel chapter nine, Daniel goes to seek the Lord with all of his heart. I love old Daniel here. Uh, He's always seeking the Lord and fasting and praying and stuff like that. And when he does this, he receives great things. Like for example, when he goes into this prayer time, how does it end? The Lord gives him one of the most amazing prophecies in all the Bible, the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel. For you Bible prophecy buffs, you know, that's one of the most significant prophecies in all the Bible. He's about to receive that. How did that happen? Daniel chapter nine, starting in verse two, it says, in the first year of of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books, the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in desolations of Jerusalem. Daniel understood what was gonna happen. Seven years of captivity, why? Because he was a Bible reader, if you would. He was reading the letter that Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to him. And because of that, he went on and prayed and fasted and sought the Lord with all of his heart. And the Lord blessed Daniel because he did what Jeremiah told him. Blessed is the person who does what the Word of God tells him to do. And Daniel was blessed out of his socks. The whole time he was in captivity, Daniel was just blessed because he obeyed the Word. Um, I love that. And, and this is Jeremiah. Now we're reading that where Jeremiah wrote that. He says, 70 years are determined uh, upon Israel to be uh, in captivity. And so we we see Jeremiah writing this. This is the same thing that Daniel read. but. I love this next part. And this is maybe one of the more famous scriptures in the Bible. This will be on coffee mugs. Um, this verse has helped people through really dark times as it should. And this is where I wanna admit, yes, victory and joy and hope and God's grace is a part of the Christian, the believer in faith. But you also have to realize that it's not gonna always be that. Ultimately, it will be that. Um, for example, the Jews will be in captivity in Babylon But you always keep tucked away the hope and the joy. See, that's the important thing. We can't just give words on victory and hope and all that. We have to give the whole story, but it ends. We can keep our chins up and we can keep our joy even in the midst of sorrow and suffering. Why? Because ultimately, well, let's read it. Daniel's told by Jeremiah and all the people in captivity. Let's start again, verse 10. For thus the Lord, 70 years be accomplished at Babylon. I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place, Jerusalem. For, here it is, verse 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Or as some of your newer translations say there, a future and a hope. Then, verse 12, you shall call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you and you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive." This is the hope Jeremiah plants, the seed of hope, by saying, oh, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, Jerusalem, Israel, Jews, thoughts of peace and not of evil. When you read Jeremiah, you think, man, the Lord's ticked. The Lord's gonna crush the Jews and put them in captivity. But that's not his heart. The, the children of Israel were rebellious. And the Lord says, because of your rebellion, I'm gonna uh, take 70 years from you and put you into captivity. But I know the thoughts that I think toward you, they're thoughts of peace, not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. I've got a, a plan for you and a future and you're gonna be regathered and I'm gonna do that. And that's true of the Jews, but that's also true of us. Remember when you feel like you're in captivity. Remember when you're depressed because of the coronavirus. Man, I just heard last week, another student in Wilsonville committed suicide. Um, We're seeing that here in Portland and really around the country where young people are committing suicide at uh, extremely high rates. And many believe it's because of the coronavirus and what's going on in the world. People are in despair right now. But this is where you and I, we need to remember that we do have the hope in the Lord. And when we go through difficult days, sometimes the Lord allows us to go through those times, but he's always got that future and that hope planned for you. And like Daniel, Daniel does the right thing. What do you do? Seek the Lord, it says, verse 13, seek me and find me. And when you so search for me with all of your heart, that's what Daniel did. So when you're in difficult days like we're living, that's what that's what you and I should be doing, is seek the Lord with all of your heart, search the scriptures, read the Bible, pray, ask the Lord to give you vision and direction and understanding, and the Lord will do that, just like he did with Daniel. Well, verse 15, he goes on, because you have said the Lord hath raised us up prophets in Babylon, know that thus saith the Lord of the king that sitteth upon the throne of David, and all the people that dwell in the city and uh, of your brethren that are not gone forth into captivity. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will send upon them the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that cannot be eaten. So they are um, evil. They are so evil. Remember the parable of the figs last week, the bag of figs that were good and the ones that were vile. He's bringing that back. Verse 18, and I will persecute them with the sword, with the famine and with the pestilence, and I will deliver them to be removed all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse and an astonishment and a hissing and a reproach among all the nations, whither I have driven them. Because they have not hearkened to my words, saith the Lord, which I sent unto them by my servants, the prophets rising uh, up early and sending them, but ye would not hear, saith the Lord. Again, Jeremiah is saying, man, you're listening to these other guys that are false prophets, watch out. By the way, Matthew chapter 7, speaking of these false prophets, um, we already talked about how you can discern a false prophet. Let's see what happens. But there's another thing that Jesus brings out about false prophets in Matthew 7, verse 15. Um, By the way, this is correct, Matthew 7, verse one says, judge not that you be not judged. And man, people love to quote that, don't judge Pastor Brett, other ministries and other pastors and teachers and stuff. Don't judge, Uh, don't judge. People say that. Um, It's true, judge not lest you be judged. But in the same exact chapter, isn't it interesting, Matthew 7, 15, it says, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, They are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, figs of thistles? So even every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. You will know them by your fruit. So while you're not to be judgmental, just for the sake of being judgmental, we are supposed to be fruit inspectors to see if somebody's a false prophet or not. Let's see how that shakes out here. Um, Verse 20. Hear ye therefore, this is uh, again, twenty-nine, Jeremiah 29, 20. Hear ye therefore the word of the Lord, all ye captivity of the captivity, whom I've sent to Jeru- from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, of Ahab, the son Coliah, and of Zedekiah, the son of Maasa, which prophesy a lie unto you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before the- these. These false prophets, Coliah, and this—not the Zedekiah the king, but a, a false prophet, Zedekiah—they're going to be slain. Verse twenty-two, and of them shall be taken up a curse by all the captivity of Judah, which are in Babylon, saying, "The Lord make thee like Zedekiah and like Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted with fire." That's how Babylon, the Nebuchadnezzar, liked to put people in—you know uh, hot cauldrons where they were fried to death. Remember you know, the fiery furnace of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Apparently these two prophets got burned up in that, probably that very same furnace, who knows. Um, But verse 23, because they have committed villainy in Israel and have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them, even I know and am witness saith the Lord. These guys were already known to not be prophets. Why? Because not only did their words not come to pass, but the fruit of their lives was evil. That's what he's saying. They were walking around you know, town committing adultery with their neighbor's wives and what have you. I hope you understand. You know, we can even talk about the, the religious leaders. Did you know that Buddha, before he was the Buddha, he was a father of a son and husband of a wife, and he bailed on them. He named his son, basically the English um, equivalent of fetters, like, like, my son is chains. So, what does he do? He leaves his wife and his son, um, deadbeat dad. Buddha was a deadbeat dad to find his little, you know, uh, nirvana or whatever. Um, and it's really a horrible thing. You'll know them by their fruits. Confucius was one of the most immoral people that ever walked the earth. And yet, people sort of follow that religion. Muhammad was a bloodthirsty, violent warlord. I love that. You know, the founder of our religion, not Buddha, not Confucius, not Muhammad, Jesus. If you wanna know what a religion is about, religion is about, look at its founder. And the founder of Christianity was Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And I like the fruit of his life. (coughs) He wasn't immoral like Confucius. He wasn't a deadbeat dad like (coughs) Buddha. He wasn't a bloodthirsty villain like Muhammad, but he gave his life and became a servant and was humble and meek and lived perfectly righteous. That's our founder. You'll know them by their fruits. Well, that's true of Jesus, of course, <coughs> but that's also true of the prophets. And that's one of the things, not only do you have their words and see if they come to pass or not, if they're true or false, but also you'll know them by their fruits. That's what Jesus taught. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Well, verse 24, thus shalt thou also speak to Shemaiah, the. Nahelethite, or Nahelamite, saying, <clears throat> Excuse me, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, Because thou hast set letters in thy name unto all the people that are Jerusalem, and to Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord hath made thee priest in the stead of Jehoiada, the priest that ye should offer in the house of the Lord for every man that is mad and that maketh himself a prophet, and that thou shouldest put him in prison and in the stocks." So this guy is basically saying, yeah, this guy, Jeremiah, he needs to be put in prison, this negative Nelly, this guy that's speaking all the bad stuff. Verse 27, now therefore, why hast thou not reproved Jeremiah of Anatol, which maketh himself a prophet to you? For therefore he sent unto us in Babylon, saying, this captivity is long, build ye houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. And Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the ears of Jeremiah the prophet. Basically, you know, this this letter saying, Jeremiah said, make yourself at home in Babylon. This guy is truly a false prophet, even though he was the prophet of the Lord. Then came verse 30, the word of the Lord to Jeremiah saying, send to all them of the captivity saying, thus saith the Lord concerning Shemiah the Nehelamite." Because that Shemiah hath prophesied unto you, and I sent him not, and he caused you to trust a lie, therefore thus saith the Lord, behold, I will punish Shemiah the, the Nahalmite uh, and his seed, and he shall not have a man to dwell among his people, this people. Neither shall he behold the good that I will do for my people, saith the Lord, because he hath taught rebellion against the Lord. You see what Jeremiah's battle is here? He's, Jeremiah is speaking true things. Meanwhile, everybody else is saying, he's wrong. Jeremiah doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and everybody else knows the truth and Jeremiah is wrong. And this Shemiah says, oh, you know, Jeremiah should be thrown in jail. But Jeremiah, prophet of the Lord says, Shemiah going down and his seat after him. He's gonna lose his place in the world history. And we don't know anything of Shemiah. He goes down as nothing. You know, it's, it's sad, but that's the day we're living. People that are saying true things, people that are saying false things. And I would be careful to be as discerning as you can, Christians of 2021 now coming up here, um, that we discern what we're hearing because there's a lot of people saying stuff. Everybody on Instagram saying stuff. Half the stuff I see is just not even true. Christian people posting stuff, not even true. Sounds good, sounds fluffy and warm and squishy, but it's just false. And as a guy who's like trying to say, well, here's what the Bible says, I'm kind of amazed at what people are saying out there and the arguments people are making for various ways of thinking. The key is to look to the fruit, look at their fruit. Do they really know what they're talking about? And let's see if they're true or false. If what they're saying is true, then maybe they were a prophet. But if what they're saying is false and proves to be false, we should never listen to them again. They're false teachers or false prophets in the Old Testament days. Um, you know, we always should do what Acts 17:11 says, be like the Bereans, search the scriptures daily to see if what that dude is saying is true or false. They were not doing that in Jeremiah's day. They were listening to what was theatrical. They were listening to what sounded victorious and hopeful. They were listening to that which was better and good news and not really willing to hear the bad news. Well, God's not gonna give us bad news. Uh, As it turns out, yes, he was. And he wanted them to hear it. And Jeremiah was the messenger that they shut down. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church and give us a discernment, knowing what is true and knowing what is false in Jesus' name. Well, we'll pick up chapter 30 next week, Lord willing. Lord, we pray that you'd bless tonight as we uh, take these chapters and think through them. Lord, I I pray you'd give us discerning ears in a day where misinformation seems to abound. I pray that we'd be able to just know when we're sensing something that's just really not right. Um, Help us not just to buy into the world and what they teach and preach, but help us to have discerning ears to know what your word teaches. Help us to have your heart and your mind. Lord, I pray that we'd be on your side, not our side or the other side, your side. Whatever that is, show us, Lord, how that is. Bless these, your people who've studied this section tonight. Lord, may it bring good fruit into their lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.